Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chopping Wood with Forrester Basketball, a podcast where we chop it up with players and coaches at HU. I'm your host, Ryan Walker. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition to Chopping Wood. We're almost done. It's been a crazy season, and here with me to break a lot of it down, we have Coach Strom. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, Coach, we just got off of a really thrilling game against Goshen, a great senior night. You know, that game against Goshen earlier this season was certainly disappointing, not a loss we wanted to take. What did you see from the team on the court Tuesday night? I thought we had great focus. Um, obviously, where we're at, um, hoping to make a, a, a an appearance in the national tournament, we knew it was a very important game. And um, on top of that, it was senior night, so it was our final home game of the year uh, and final um, game in Platte Arena for Caleb. Uh, so we wanted to, to play well and send him off on a, on a good note. Yeah, Coach, I was going to actually ask you about Caleb. It's um only one senior leaving this year, and we're set up pretty well right now, but if you want to just go on about Caleb a little bit, I know you could. He's such a great person and a great player, so just you know, kind of deconstruct what you've seen from him this year. Yeah, he's had an incredible career. You look at his numbers, I think um, uh, he's, he's averaged almost 16 points a game for his entire career in college, which is incredible. Um, he's, you know, uh, over 1,700 points and going. He's close to 500 rebounds. Um, he's over uh, 250 made threes for his career, and uh, he's, he's been a huge part of what we've built here um, in our program. And, um, you know, he, he's just done a great job uh, in his four years at, at Huntington. Yeah, Coach, and um, I want to talk to you a little bit. Now that you know kind of who's coming back, how does that set you guys up for next year and the continuous years as we kind of, you know, still deal with the ramifications of that extra year of eligibility? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think we're set up pretty well. Um, as you mentioned, uh, everyone that was here last year has that extra year. Uh, and, and so even though um, we have a lot of players in the program that are in their second and third year, they still have multiple years left. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we really like where we're at. Um, we've had a good, uh, good couple additions in our recruiting class. Um, and, and so we're really excited about the future of, of Forrester basketball. Yeah, Coach, so I wanted to get into a little bit to your journey to Huntington because you've had quite the one, if the listeners aren't familiar at home. You got a degree in math from Greenville. Univ- is it college or university? Uh, it was college when I went there, uh, and then when I left, they became a university. Okay, I, I saw both, so I wanted to make sure. And then you went to uh, Kansas State as a graduate assistant and got a master's degree there. Uh, your time at Kansas City, two 25-win seasons in a Big 12 championship. What was that like? Yeah, it was um, it was a really good experience. Um, you know, that's where I um, uh, was given my first opportunity to be part of a, a college coaching staff, and um, you know, I was really fortunate to to be there uh, for two really good seasons, two of the best seasons in, in program history. Uh, first year we made the Elite Eight, uh, one game away from the Final Four, and then my second year we won the Big Twelve, and um, you know, won 50 games in two years. So I was really fortunate and. Um, you know, really grateful to be a part uh, of, of that program uh, during those two years. And how has your uh, Division One experience at Kansas City helped you as you've come to the NAIA? 
Uh, yeah, I think it, it it's helped in a couple ways. Um, you know, obviously at that level, that's the highest level of basketball, and then being in the Big Twelve, that's the best conference um, in Division One, arguably. Um, so you're around, you know, some of the best coaches and some of the best players that that college basketball has to offer. Um, and, and so for me, being a very young coach, being very new to it, I really learned uh, a lot about. Um, how to coach the game, how to how to pr- uh, prepare for the game, how to um, you know um, how to uh, work out players, how to um, prepare for practice, um, you know, uh, y- you name it. Um, and so there was just a lot that, um, as I said, that was my first opportunity to be part of a college staff. I uh, um, you know just learned uh, how to how to go about it day by day. Yep, and then coach, you went to Manchester, and then you found your way here with Coach Alfer. How were you recruited to this job, and how do you have a connection with Coach Alford before that, or did he just discover you, or how did that all go down? Yeah, there were some uh, some mutual connections, um, you know, with with some um, uh, coaches that we both knew, um, and, and and some other people um, that we you know both had connections with. So uh, really grateful that Coach Alford um, gave me an opportunity to be part of his staff, and um, you know, really excited to, to be here. Yep, and Coach, you are a man of many duties now. Uh, if I could list them off, you're the assistant coach, recruiting coordinator, game film coordinator, is that exactly the exact title, and then you also handle the travel. So quite a bit on your plate, but I really want to focus on the game film aspect. That's a really underrated part of the game. What do you look for when you're starting to digest film the day after a game? Yeah, um, Jared, who's our graduate assistant, um, we split the scouts. So he does 15 a year. I do 15 a year. Uh, and he does a lot of our um, video breakdown. Uh, and he does a tremendous job with that. Um, but, you know, for scouts, um, you know, the big thing is just um, getting as much information uh, and then being able to relay it to the players. Uh, so there's, you know, there as a coaching staff, we have so much information, um, you know, just from watching film and, um, and just with numbers and, and stats and whatnot. And, you know, the biggest thing with that is being able to, to relate to the players so that they understand, um, you know, what our game plan is and, and, you know, what we're trying to accomplish in that game. Yeah. And then also you're, Big on recruiting, too. And uh, you mentioned we have a really good recruiting class. I want to know if you could take the Forrester fans at home a little bit deeper and see what we can expect from the freshmen next year. Yeah, we have a couple of kids that committed. Um, we have uh, uh, Isaiah Davis is a senior at Zionsville High School. Um, we're really excited about him. Uh, he's he's uh, um, a great talent, a great kid on and off the court, and uh, he's – He's a kind of a pick and pop, can really shoot it, can play inside. Uh, he's a, he's a great teammate, great leader, uh, and we will we think he'll fit our uh, um, culture. Uh, you know, not only of our program but also the school. Uh, and then we got um, Mario from uh, Brabuff Jesuit, uh, who committed to us. Um, he's six seven, very athletic, very long, great rebounder, uh, great shot blocker, and and uh, can hit an open jump shot. So we're um, very excited about both those players coming in next season. Yep, and so, Coach, one thing Ryan and I talk about on this podcast quite a bit is analytics, and like I said, you have a degree in math, and you are huge on the analytics, and it's just, it's a really helpful tool that really kind of flies under the radar, so, you know, when you're just, you said you want to, you know, relay messages to your players, you know, how do you really get to that to them, like, these are the analytics that you need to look at, here's how to improve your game using numbers? Yeah, um, you know, I I think analytics, um, like a lot of things, are a tool, 
to to help uh, get across, you know, for us style of play, uh, maybe what type of shot we're looking for, um, what we're uh, maybe what we want to do defensively, um, you know, our style of play. And, and there's so much that goes into it. Um, and a lot of it, you know, we don't relate to players just because it, it could be information overload. Uh, but the key, as I said earlier, is to um, find the right information and present it in a way to the players that they can understand it and then uh, um, execute on the court. Yep. So, Coach. Uh, Ryan and I are going to talk in the second half of this podcast, but I just want to get your thoughts a little bit. That national tournament's fast approaching. I, I know you've obviously probably looked at the NAIA Hoops report, so right now our name is on the bracket right now. Is that a conversation that's going on inside the locker room? Like, what's the coaching staff thinking? Just kind of take the listeners at home through that. Yeah, I mean, it's something that kind of everybody knows about. Um, and, 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 you know, I think it's kind of, uh, it's been a goal of ours, but maybe not explicitly stated all the time. Um, you know, it's kind of cliche, but, you know, our, our focus as a team is to just win the next game um, and, and to play as well as we can. And if we do that, uh, the results uh, will take care of themselves. We, you know, Coach always mentions we want to have a growth mindset uh, and continue to get better every day. And, um, as you know, if, if we do that, the everything else will take care of itself. Yep, you mentioned your focus is on winning the next game, and you got a really big one coming up on Saturday, which will be tomorrow. Uh, real quick, you can obviously find the link on the HU Twitter page. If not, Ryan and I will have you on the radio. But what's the coaching staff looking for against Grace? You've already got them once this year, but the road struggles have been there a little bit. So what are you looking for on Saturday? Yeah, Grace is a really good team. They've had a really good year, uh, been ranked for most of the year, um, and, and and they're playing really good basketball right now heading into the final game. And, and as you mentioned, uh, we, we did beat them earlier, um, but, you know, we're going on the road this time, and uh, any any road game in the Crossroads League is going to be a battle, especially um, the final one of the year, and, and uh, this one is important for both teams. Um, so it, it should be a good one, uh, but we're, we're excited for it. Yeah, so I'm going to transition just a little bit to a little bit of a fun part of our interview. Uh, obviously, you're big on basketball, but you also have quite a bit of baseball roots. You played baseball in college. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I really enjoyed my time playing baseball in college. I always wanted to, to play a college sport, and anyone who knows me or has seen me knows I'm not the tallest person. So, um, you know, playing basketball uh, really wasn't an option uh, for me in college, and, and um, baseball was, and I had a great experience and uh, really, really enjoyed my four years um, in college playing baseball. Yeah, and also I found this really interesting, including your baseball roots. Your dad's a longtime employee of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. So were you around a lot as a kid or go to games or just – a fan? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan uh, of the Cardinals. Um, growing up in St. Louis, um, St. Louis is a huge baseball town. Uh, they love the Cardinals. And, and growing up, I was fortunate uh, that, you know, the Cardinals, um, the last 20 years or so, have had a lot of success. So it's been a lot of fun to go to games, um, you know, be around the stadium, um, just, just share a lot of mem- memories with family and friends um, and, and uh, um, you know, just, just have that experience. All right. Thanks, Coach. We'll see you tomorrow for the Grace game. And thank you so much for turning in the chopping wood. Thank you so much for tuning in to our player interview. Now let's bring in Ryan Walker to discuss Forrester basketball. Welcome back to Chopping Wood. Carson Watkins with Ryan Walker here. And a rather interesting three-day stretch yet again for the Foresters. They played Marion on Saturday and just... They had a pretty good game offensively. I mean, 86, 85 points, but unfortunately the Knights were just one step ahead. They got 96. I mean, we mentioned on the very first show, Ryan, there's just going to be games like that where you could potentially 
play better and play have a really good game offensively, but the other team can just be better, and that's the reality you have to live with in this league. Well, yeah, they shot really well against Marion. I mean, 85 points is is a terrific number, but you know, you look at shooting percentages, and they were they were terrific from all over the place. But the only problem is that Marion shot that much better. <laughs> I mean, they were 50% from the field and from three. That's really tough. 58% to... from the field. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can't really compete with that. You know, obviously defensively you can do a little bit better. But when a team shoots like that, lights out, they just, you know, and Carson, we miss the game, so we don't have, like, this incredible breakdown of what exactly happened because both of us weren't even there. But um, Shocker, Forrest, I know. Yeah, exactly. So Foresters, I mean, they didn't shoot great from deep against Goshen, but they were able to come up with a big victory against them, but shot much better against Marion and end up losing by, what, 11? So Yeah, so that it happened. And, I mean, look at the slash lines. Marion's slash line was 58, 52, and 91. Huntington's was 53, 43, and 88. I mean, literally just one step ahead, and that's all it took. Got to give credit to Zach Goodline, though. He went... 25 points, 11 for 11 from the line. Really underrated stat line of the day. And he's the only one outside of Lane and Spencer who even went to the free throw line. So pretty good day from him. But like he said, you know, I, I peeped in every once in a while while I was doing my show choir business. And, uh, and, you know, just not really their day, but a huge bounce back against Goshen, especially after that loss they took earlier this year that kind of, hurt them quite a bit Ryan yeah they they didn't shoot particular particularly well uh, against Goshen but every everything just seemed uh to click for them in general I'm, I mean in what was probably the strangest game for Zach Goodline you know 0 for 6 from 3 2 for 9 from the field just a seven points so he wasn't completely involved on the scoring side of things but he's able to pick up six assists um, and get involved in other different ways you know a couple rebounds uh, stuff like that. So it's it's important for Zach to get involved on the scoring side, but it's not the end-all, be-all, and that was really cool to see that other guy stepped up, you know, like Caleb Middlesworth and Hank Pulver, who was able to come back with pretty much complete minutes back in the starting lineup. Lane Sparks as well, of course, and Joel Dyer. Mitchell Wilson shot well, too. I mean, th- this is a team that's starting to build their own depth. We saw a lot of minutes from uh, Joel Dyer and uh, a little bit from Mitchell Wilson as well. Uh, where they got into the game, and it was just those two running the show. Maybe Peyton West was out there at the same time. But, you know, let the game run through those guys. That good line puts up about 35 minutes a game and will go up to 40 if they need him to. But he only had 30 in the last game, and not because of play. I think Coach Alford just wants to uh, rest him a little bit. Okay, we have a sizable lead here. Let's let's take a break here. We need a full uh, Zach Goodline to lead the charge at the point guard position going into conference tournament play, and especially this weekend against Grace, in which uh, NAI Hoops Report says if Huntington beats Goshen, which they did, and against Grace on the road, that it should lock them into the tournament. Uh, if not, then, of course, you got another chance in the Crossroads League tournament. So, you know, potential one and one split might be a little bit scary but that win against Goshen helps a lot because if you have a loss like that to a Goshen team who's you know a feisty team we lost to them earlier in the year but if you get swept by them that really starts to kind of put into question uh-oh are we on the bubble now or where, where are we at so 
Yeah, and I think, you know, it was unfortunate. I really hope Zach's just doing okay. I guess we'll figure out in time. He, he got his finger taped up at some point. I'm not yeah. sure if that hindered him or how much it may have hindered him. But a really good night, um, defensive night overall. Nine steals for the team. Uh, Hummer, Kaus, and West getting three apiece. Handful of, I mean, turnovers everywhere. They were just getting so many turnovers and capitalizing on those turnovers. They They did slump there a little bit. It was kind of weird. They were slumping there in the middle of the second half, but never. I don't think they ever were had a single point deficit, so or a single point lead. So it was kind of a weird balancing act. But at the end of the day, like I always say, you know, we love our advanced analytics. But at the end of the day, the W and the left hand column's most important one. Yeah, it wasn't a fluid victory like we've seen. In other games, you know, when you play St. Francis, it, it really looked like a great all-around game defensively on the offensive side. You know, they were just complete. A, l- a little bit sloppy, I guess, on the Forrester side. Uh, they they won a couple minutes with only scoring a couple points in the second half there against Goshen. You probably want to pick up some more of those. But they scout really well, and Coach Alford says this about uh, Coach Ryan Strom and um, Jared Jock as well, that they do a great job in preparation to what other teams do and preparing our own team and they saw that Goshen was one of the worst teams uh, in the country and turning the ball over and they had 17 against Huntington so they really took advantage of that they're really uh, reading the ball well so whatever they saw in the film Peyton West was able to pick up on Spencer Ballinger picked up a couple as well I saw so I mean it was just it was great all around for for Huntington just taking a look at the steals here yeah we had six in the starting lineup we had nine total steals out of the 17 turnovers so Obviously, unforced turnovers are a, a part of kind of the defense and whatever Goshen's doing with the ball as well. But nine steals is really good for a really good defensive team who struggled against Marion but picked it back up into pace against Goshen, and now we head into the final regular season matchup. Yeah, and we'll uh, address that here in a minute. But first, let's uh, let's get into the tournament, Ryan. A new yes. It, Big shout out to NAI Hoops Report. They always come out with this bracket right when we need it. No, <laughs> it's I just know. like, oh, is are Ryan and Carson recording today? Uh, probably. <laughs> All right, know. let's let's release that bracket. So more good news for the Foresters. Hopefully, once again, this is not official. This is more of a bracketology report, but unofficially, but they I unofficially think, official. I think Coach Alfer said that last year they projected the entire field correctly, which is <laughs> really tough to do, but. They know what they're talking about. They go into analytics with RPI, strength schedule, arc rating, all that kind of stuff, which really helps them out. Yeah, so right now the Foresters are sitting in the fourth seed in the Appalachian District. Yep. Not exactly sure where that uh, host city would be, hopefully somewhere warm. But we would be playing Georgetown, Kentucky, if this was correct. And I think one thing to mention is even though we're a four seed, which would, it's in, if you, you can't see the bracket, but every district is... Four, you know. Yeah, four, it's uh, not one through sixteen seeded. It's one through four, and there's plenty of them. Sixty-four total teams, just for some background. Yeah, but we're sitting in that four seed, and we actually have more wins and less losses than the third seed, and we're only two games out of the second and first seed. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're right there, and I think. One second, I'm trying to find the wording here. Sure. Yeah, the Foresters have caught a couple bad breaks here this season, and I think. You know, this record, and I, you know, sometimes you hate to play this game, but I do it sometimes too. But you sit there and you think about what if, 
what if we would have hit that buzzer beater? What if Ben would have released that buzzer beater against Taylor one sec point one seconds earlier? And what if Peyton crowd that rebound at the end of the Indiana Wesleyan or got the block shot and Seth Maxwell wasn't able to get that rebound against Indiana Wesleyan? And I mean, still all the bad luck, and you're still sitting here like this. I mean, it's it's great. Well, they they put into account the Crossroads League as they should. You know, there's no league like it. You know, the only comparison I could see is not really right now, I guess, but the ACC and NCAA. But, I mean, there's still a lot of conferences that compete in the NCAA. Crossroads League, I think, is a different animal. You know, you got 10 teams that really can compete. I mean, Spring Arbor took Huntington to overtime, and Goshen split the series with Huntington this year, a team that looks like to be in the tournament as of right now, according to NAI Hoops Report. So it's it's a tough conference, and you've got a perennial power in Indiana Wesleyan. and then A couple of them. <laughs> yeah, it, it, a couple of them as well. It, when you're talking about elite, elite programs, Indiana Wesleyan's there, and then you can't sleep on St. Francis, Marion, Grace, and Mount Vernon, who also apparently is now unofficially entered the conversation to bracketology. They're making it right now, according to them. Yeah, and I think one thing, in the Southeast District, we, we've discussed this a handful of times, but... Um, Indiana Tech has a two seed. Yep. So I mean, and we got them on the road, yep. and Grace is a two seed as well. And wow, I mean, this is just crazy to think about. And that's that the selection show is going to be something. But oh, that's going to be fun. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I, I hope I can't wait for that. That'd be heartbreaking if we all went to the, the, the Plex or something to watch it. And that's it. Thanks for tuning in. And our name's out there. I'm just gonna. Yeah. I'm just gonna walk out of here. And yeah, that would be sad. <laughs> that would be very sad. But th- th- we're gonna think positive here. I mm-hmm. think. I mean, not everyone beat the number three team in the country. Not everybody took Grace beat Grace when they were a top ten team. Nobody took Indiana Wesleyan to the brink like we did at home. I mean, I think we have the resume, and I know you have all the numbers there. If you want to get, I yeah. think if you want to get into those, yeah. Well, RPI is something that I think the the selection committee really gets into. And RPI, as we've said it before, it's a rating powers in, a power index, and it calculates your record, um, and it calculates your opponent's record and your opponent's opponent's record. So basically, it's it's kind of like in a way a strength of schedule combined with all these records and information and stuff like that. So it it has a better idea of maybe who is one of the better teams in the country. So if you're like 10 and 0 and Huntington's 8 and 2 and Huntington's beat beat up on some uh some opponents that are ranked, but the 10 and 0 team hasn't played anybody. Huntington's going to probably get the nod over them. So just just to put it in that context. Yeah, and you mentioned like once again we'll just use that comparison like the ACC, you know. Not everyone has to play, well, Duke and North Carolina, who's struggling a little bit right now, but you know those, like like you said, those kind of perennial teams right. who, you know, a team like in the Horizon League wouldn't have to face on a daily basis. Right. So we'll get into the uh, the RPI here. Huntington has RPI victories over number one, Indiana Wesleyan, who is sitting right in front of William Jessup and William Penn. Uh, a victory over number eight, St. Francis. So you got two top 10 wins there of course on the road Indiana Wesleyan too that helps a lot number 15 Grace we played them at home and we beat them by 14 and then number 20 Indiana Tech and Huntington just for those that wanted to know is tied for 31st with Southeastern down in Florida so looking at that you've got four 
top 20 victories there, and you can keep going down the line. Three in the top 15, two in the top 10, and then number one overall. It's, it's tough. On the road. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's tough to have a resume like that because Indiana Wesleyan's only lost four games, and the one was Huntington. So not a ton of teams have beaten was- the number one overall team, especially on the road. And yeah, they were also they only have one conference loss too. And then they and also just considering how much momentum Indiana Wesleyan had coming that game, they just knocked off a top ten team. Yeah. And we're on what was it twenty three officially? It was like twenty three straight games and just like that. Yeah. Gone. And Huntington took it right from them. I mean, they're they're one of the best home teams in the nation too. I mean, it's it's a terrific place to play. I mean, they've got. Um, they've got the program history. They've got the recency as well. The three titles since uh, 2013, uh, when the Foresters made it to the NAIA tournament last. I think they've made that tournament, the NAIA tournament, every year since Huntington has last made it in 2013. So if that just tells you anything, I mean, it's just crazy what uh, Greg Tonegal over there has done with Indiana Wesleyan. But Foresters, I mean, you were mentioning. The what ifs. What if Huntington did end up beating Indiana Wesleyan at home? Yeah. They would have two number one victories, one at home, one on the road. <laughs> I mean, geez. Yeah, I, I I don't want to traffic in hypotheticals anymore because it just starts to hurt after a few minutes. But, <laughs> I mean, what else more could you ask for? But right now, I think a little bit more recently, I know we kind of – it's like a half importancy, especially when we look at Saturday. But looking at the Crossroads League right now, I think the tournament is just about set. If it, my computer wants to load for me here. I think the standings are pretty much set. So I made a bracket. Right now it would be Taylor playing Indiana Wesley in the 1-8. and eight, And then Marion and Bethel, Huntington and St. Francis, and then Grace and Mount Vernon, higher seed hoes in the top Four, Indiana Wesley and Mary and St. Francis and Grace. Forrester struggled a little bit at, on the road this year, and they, especially one of their worst games on the road was that St. Francis game. Yeah, that was one of them there. And then, of course, Marianne on the road, too, where they lost by 20. You know, nobody's going to look at the <laughs> and they, footage. They, and they were tied at 50 exactly. at one point. Exactly. Nobody's going to look at the footage and say, oh, well, Huntington was uh, tied with them at one point. So it really it really wasn't that bad. Of a lo- Nobody's going to look at that. They're going to look at the final score. And, I mean, maybe they'll look at some stats, who knows, but they're just going to look at the final score to go through it, and, and rightfully so. You can't watch every game, especially in the NEIA's committee. You can't watch every single game. Maybe NCAA can, who knows. But, yeah, I, I mean, mean, it was... Well, they also do have a lot more analytics and footage. Yeah, and, you exactly. Know, not so, just a YouTube stream. Yeah, so looking at the Crossroads League tournament, uh, it's it's really exciting you know, of course, the team would want to win the whole thing and just get the automatic berth into the tournament since the Crossroads League has two automatic qualifiers. Uh, but you take a victory over Grace, and I think that should take care of business. So any win there would just improve seeding overall. And, of course, you know, if they end up in a championship, then it's like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's take that and, and automatically make it. And especially if that championship, if they find themselves in the championship game, if it was against Indiana Wesleyan, that would be an automatic bid already because if the conference, if the regular season and postseason tournament winner wins the wins is the same. Sorry, I kind of my words yeah, aren't working right. right now. It'd be an automatic bid for the second team. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm, but you know, even one win at St. Francis just might do it, and we'll just see, you know, how that the cookie crumbles. Do it. Yes, that should do it. And they're, of course, if on... they beat Grays and then win in the first round, book your tickets to wherever we're going. Right. Figure it out. Right, and they're on the two and three seed side of the tournament, so they won't see Indiana Wesleyan until a a championship. And same goes for an eight seed as well. We won't see them until like a championship round. But we just got to take it one game at a time, and we'll be able to pick up another big resume booster and most likely St. Francis at that point. So yeah. I think the biggest thing at this point is is if Marion loses and St. Francis wins on Saturday. I'm not exactly sure what their split is, so that might flip them again, but actually there's really no winner there because if, if, if we beat Grace or if Grace beats us and St. Francis loses, then they may, it's actually a little bit more wide open. I think the biggest questions right now is for the one and two seed because Bethel and Taylor are both five and twelve, but Bethel's on a seven game losing streak. That's crazy. I mean, they're they're a good team. I mean, we've watched them twice. They're actually a pretty good team. Of course, Zach Owens is over there and I don't know. That's it's kinda wild how Bethel's kind of just faltered at the end of the season here. Kind of I hate to make the comparison. It kinda reminds me of Huntington last year. They were like they were like what I think they were like Five and three in conference, and then just the wheels kind of fell off there towards the end. But yeah, I think we had the four game stretch where I think we we either lost three or four in a row or something like that to really kind of kill the chances of a tournament appearance. But yeah, it, it, in a more extreme scenario, I guess it is what it is at the end of the day. I mean, and they probably still would have. And then they, you said they did kill off their chances there, but they also probably would have made it if it wasn't for the decreased number of participants to keep social distancing and yeah. all that jazz. But, yeah, we've kind of brought it up a few times, but we got a game to preview on Saturday. Ryan and I will have that for you on 105.5 WQHU if you're in the Huntington area. If not, it's on forestradigital.net, or if you want to watch it on television, you, can, you probably know where the link is. But, I mean, Foresters really battled with them here. They were down... 20 to 2 at one. I know that's just been pounding in everybody's head at this point, but rather important to mention, they were down 20 to 2 when they came back and beat them pretty convincingly, Ryan. I mean, it was, yeah, 88 to 74. So we know what they can do. I mean, there's a there's a blueprint here, and it's like what Peyton West, I, I, this isn't credited enough to him. He called his shot at the end of the, right before the Indian Wesleyan game, and the, after the St. Francis game, when I interviewed him on the broadcast, he said, I promise you we're going to win if we can rebound and play defense. He was right. Yeah. And so they have a winning strategy here. They make their buckets, play defense, and pull down rebounds. They can beat, they can beat Grace. They can beat anybody. Yeah, they, they've won before a couple different times being out-rebounded, but that's definitely not something that they want to, you, you know, focus upon is getting out-rebounded. You know, they, they want to out-rebound the other team. Uh, so or just limit those mistakes and uh, create more for the opposing team now they've they've struggled on the road that's there's no question about it but this is a really good opportunity and I think the whole team really understands that I mean they had a they had the win against Goshen and the next day they see this bracketology update that I know the coaching staff talks a little bit about it um, with what's at stake here every single night out especially now with the last game of the season so I think this team's going to be ready to play against grace you know it's it's not going to look as um as clumsy i guess as the other road losses that they've taken in the past and it's a team that's beatable you, you know on on the road as well i just remember grace they lost to indiana wesleyan at home and i, I saw that they lost to 
Mount Vernon at home as well. So a similar opponent in Mount Vernon has beaten this team on the road before. And we've we've already played this team. We've beaten them at home. Nothing is guaranteed, but at least this team knows what they're up against. They know the tendencies, um, and they they know how to adjust to them, obviously. 20-2 to two and then winning the game by 14, that's, that's a pretty big feat. I think one big thing that's going to be huge this Saturday is how well they did against Elijah Malone and Frankie Davidson in the first matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Elijah Malone, they're not going to you know pressure him outside the arc, but we know he can shoot those threes if he decides to. But it's their senior day. They have, I think they have, actually I don't know, they have a lot of seniors, but once again, that's kind of not a, uh, for, for, the, for, the forse- for the foreseeable future, that's not much of a statement anymore. Yeah. Uh, until 2026, I think at this point. There's nobody who will have eligibility after 2026, I yeah. think it would be. Yeah, anybody who was a, a freshman last year, that would be the last year of which that would be up into question. So th- this year's freshmen don't have that opportunity is what I'm trying to say. Like Lane yes. Sparks. Yes, so 2026 class. Um, yeah, but if they can, you know, it's going to be senior day. There might be a few people leaving. They're probably going to pack the place. It's going to be a tough environment, and they're going to have to battle and – but they can do it. No one's going to stop them if they can play their game. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing. So I'm excited for it. I just I don't like hearing that. I don't want to hear last game of the season. It feels like I was just here doing the season preview like a week ago. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, it's it's tough. But as, as the season ends and you're in the hunt for a tournament, everything gets even more so exciting. So it's just going to exponentially raise – the roof off the place you know what i'm saying like uh, that was the last uh platterina home game pretty much confirmed for the rest of the year and you've okay so now well, we're unless talking, like one through four loses yeah so you, you look at okay we have last game of the year on the road receiving votes team okay cool that that's really exciting crossroads league tournament okay really exciting resume here comes bracketology and the final rankings and all this kind of stuff. It's like, whoa, this is really exciting. Was last year or a couple of years ago, you know, we weren't in the conversation for a national t- tournament appearance, especially with them cutting it last year to so little teams. So we weren't even in the conversation for the conference tournament two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> here we are. Look at this. Incredible. Um, one thing I do want to mention, I want to give a quick shout out once again to. Caleb Millsworth, who just had a great game on his senior night. You know, he's the only one who's decided not to take that year of eligibility. I believe he's married, so, you know, kind of a little bit farther ahead in life. So yeah, that might have something to do with it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah maybe, <laughs> but he played great. That last three, and then he walked off the court. That was pretty emotional. Yeah, so. it was really cool. I mean, it was our last men's game as well uh, for the television broadcast on FTN Sports. We got our last FTN Sports basketball game in general here uh, for Platt Arena tonight in the women's game. Um, so that's going to be uh, emotional, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if I can make you cry on the broadcast. I was unsuccessful yesterday. Were you trying? But, no, not, okay. not, I mean, <laughs> okay, a couple different parts maybe. Okay. But anyways, yeah, so um, Caleb Middlesworth, yeah, he had, he's a four-year starter here. Um, you know, a big man that is not just a big man. He can shoot from outside. He can get things going and – you know, runs the floor pretty well as um, uh, for for the Foresters, and you know it's it's going to be tough to replace him next year. Really, an irreplaceable guy. 
um, just congrats to him on a terrific career. It's been fun watching you, you know, from the stands for the first couple of years and then uh, calling your games for the last two years. It's been really fun um, with him. And then uh, not a senior, um, but Brock Flickinger. He got his bucket. Yeah, he – yeah, we won't go into exact details of why exactly it was funny, but um, did get a technical uh, towards the end of the game trying to score. Uh, ben Hummerkaus decided to take a shot. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that skip forward and brock flickinger got almost at the i mean yes it was at the buzzer um eventually they're just going to let it go uh but with about one second left you know puts up the shot and makes it uh to pretty much end his career as well i, I can't confirm but he's he's had a little bit of a concussion history and um, it hasn't been able to. to I talked. Play. To, I talked to Ben Hummerkaus last night. It's all but confirmed. But he might be around still. Apparently, he wants to try to work like as a half assistant coach. Yep. Stay around. I mean, he's friends with these guys. They love him, obviously, as you saw last night. Mm-hmm. So, we love Brock. We yeah. love. We love Huntington basketball. Yeah, that was that was fun. Just the eruption of the crowd for Middlesworth three, of course, to end his career, but. Also, the, the little buzzer beater from Brock Flickinger in what is probably his last game, too. So that's that's really exciting to see. I'm really happy for the both of them to end their careers on made baskets and with the crowd going crazy for them. So, Yep, that's huge. So that'll wrap up this episode of Chopping Wood. Ryan, any final thoughts? I'm just excited for March Madness, man. It's NCAA and, of course, NAI. It's, it's the best time of year. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you for tuning in to Chopping Wood with Forrester Basketball. For more on HU Hoops, visit Ryan Walker HU on Twitter and catch more episodes of Chopping Wood every Friday. Thank you for listening. This has been Ryan Walker.